What movie did we just watch, Amy? We just watched Fast Color, 2018 film. Yep. Independent-ish. It's on, it's on Hulu and it's on Amazon Prime. Is it on Hulu too? At some point it has been on Hulu. Okay. I don't know if it's on Hulu right now. It's currently on Amazon Prime because I know we just watched we it. We watched it on Amazon um, Prime. And there's apparently a TV series being based on this film at Amazon Studios. I read that on Wikipedia, but it said production in 2019 yeah so who knows what happens i mean the pandemic was 2020 so you can't blame the pandemic fully well tv productions take a very long time Mm. i would watch that tv show i don't know that i would i i mean i would the complete story was complete at this i i would be hesitant because i feel like this was such a complete story i feel like this to use the Aristotelian term, was exactly as long as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. It took up a certain size and had a certain heft that was that. Do I think you could turn that into a valid TV show and do some interesting things with it? Absolutely. Am I worried that it would just be fast color two but stretched over ten episodes? Yes. <laughs> See, I felt like we got to the end of the movie and I felt like I was being set up for season two. Well... Uh- they're Even more season so two. than Fast Color <laughs> 2, Season 2. But backing up here, yeah. what is Fast Color? What's Fast oh, Color? What What's is this, this podcast? podcast? <laughs> this is our first uninterrupted, unedited, unresearched impressions. Un- impressions on the film we just watched. This was the first time for both of us. It's full of spoilers. So yeah. if you don't want spoilers, stop. Stop watching. Watch the movie, yeah. then come back, Yeah, and we'll... It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch it. it. It'll be fine. We we won't go anywhere. So, well, neither are the podcasts. And yeah. None of our podcasts are time-specific. No. We just pick movies. We, just we pick, don't care. We pick movies. We did watch, like, Wonder Woman when it came out. That that's was our true. hot take. That was, like, the the biggest one that needs, like, a spoiler yeah. warning. We but we're not watching a movie that's 20-something years old, like Josie and the Pussycats. It's all over the place, yeah. folks. Oh. As is our cat. Almost knocked the microphone off. Uh, So briefly, Fast Color is the story of... It's it's generational uh, black women who have a family of of black women who have a superpower. Mm -hmm. And their superpower is roughly kind of being able to take things apart. Unlike a... With their mind. Not a metaphor, a molecular kind of level. Atomize things. Atomize it. um, And leave it that way or put it back together. And the caveat is they cannot fix things. They can only put it back together. The way it was. The way it was. Metaphor? Metaphor? Metaphor, Anyone? In my superhero movie? No, thank you. Yeah. Um, And so it's the story of uh, one of these women who's kind of, she's, it's kind of the grandmother, the daughter, the granddaughter. Mm-hmm. It, it covers the story. And yeah. she's, the daughter is coming back. Um, she's been a, on the run for a number of years, has been an addict, and has been um, trying to get sober. She has a hiccup in her powers because she has seizures that shake, that create earthquakes. And that's bad. And um, that has created strife between her and her mother mm-hmm. in that relationship because that wasn't the power wasn't quite the power she was supposed to have. The mm-hmm. power is already stressful enough because, you know, as uh, you know, powers, people want to, like, study Take you, you apart. And take you apart. <laughs> Metaphor. Metaphor. <laughs> um, so she had a daughter and left her with her mother to take care of mm-hmm. so she could be less of a danger to her. Yes. To her daughter. Um, but, then but then she comes she goes, home. She comes home. And we have the story that yeah. takes place that's, you know, a two-hour-long prequel to the TV show <laughs> that might come out at some point. I would still watch the TV I show. I know. I would. I would mainly because Viola Davis is producing it. Yeah. Like, that was like, okay, I will. I would be more interested because of that. Because um, I, I will say, like, looking at um, the cast of this film compared to the creatives behind it, um, there is a distinct difference in that the director and writers are all white mm-hmm. and the cast is not, mm-hmm. which is 
fine. That's not a bad thing. But it is somewhat unusual to have a film that is definitely about the black experience and anyone who tells you otherwise would be lying about this movie. Um, to have virtually no black creative perspectives behind the camera. Yeah. And to be able to pull that off effectively is very difficult. That's totally fair and true. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I think they did a pretty good job of it. I think they did it by keeping the story very focused and very small. Yeah. Um, and using lots of metaphor without getting explicit or preachy, which I think are two things that, that can happen. There's also really no outside world. Yes. Scene, so you can't, you can't, that is not coming in yes. to the story. Um, you, you get hints of it, you get aspects of it, but you don't have a lot of context. Yeah. Which I think is important. Um, is, is it both, it feels like both a stylistic choice, but also like a budgetary choice. Mm -hmm. Like we don't we don't have the budget for this. We got six actors. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. a farmhouse. It's a I mean it's a small film. Yeah, it's a, in terms of production and budget and. Yeah, definitely a, a low budget indie. It just happens to also be a superhero movie. Another one that came out at South by. Yep. Um, I've been watching a lot of. I I don't like independent films. I'm sorry. We'll stop watching we independent watch, films. I keep picking them. <laughs> I liked this one, though. I did, too. I thought it was a very tight film in mm -hmm. terms of using all of the languages of filmmaking and telling a story with all of those elements. Yeah. I was really impressed by the, the economy of dialogue in particular. Mm. Um, there is not a wasted line in this film. And there is a lot of storytelling that's done with two lines of dialogue or three lines of dialogue. And that is impressive to see. I think I think that is harder to do a lot of times because mm -hmm. you have to use everything in the filmmaker's toolkit. You can't just rest on your dialogue, which is what I like to do when I write things. Well, yeah, and dialogue is really easy to analyze. It too, is. It's so, <laughs> such a language-based society. Yeah. Um, you know, got a literature's better art form than film performance which is a better art form than tv right all that yeah silliness. none of none of which is true all that silliness um so yeah this movie does we do the things we do know about the movie that i think are or the, about the world of the movie is that there is a very significant drought there is no water there is no rainfall for about eight years yeah that's important yeah um was it that explicit that it was eight years? Yes, okay. it was said. I didn't write that down. I don't. So I may have been I in Bo's over um, the voiceover the journal um, at the very beginning. Yeah, or I think that's when it would have been if it was somewhere. Someone may have said it. Yeah, passing um, And so water is incredibly heavily rationed, um, and rationed isn't even right, the right word. It is sold at a premium. Yes. Um, and the the again visual storytelling of seeing all of these jugs that have been used over and over again that all have the red band around the midpoint, mm -hmm. so you can so tell when it's half full. They're all milk jugs and water jugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but old plastic beat up mm -hmm. jugs. And water is being sold at a premium, and getting even a little bit is a big deal, and is expensive. Um, you know, a half of a five-gallon jug was half the yeah, was half the price of the ho cheap motel she was staying at right, for the night. Right, <laughs> the motel was thirty-five a night. Yeah. half of a five-gallon jug it was twenty-six fifty. <laughs> the full five-gallon. It wasn't even a five-gallon jug. No, it wasn't. Was a, it was probably a two and a half. The half yeah. yeah. The so half. Was, the half of the five-gallon. Yeah. The two and a half. Um, so it was. It was again very expensive, which is again established without a lot of dialogue or narration it is there was some but it's very clear that there is a scarcity mindset in the world yes yeah, so, so it, in some ways this is kind of a post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. because at this point the drought is is at apocalyptic yeah standards when they go into stores it's empty shelves a few canned goods mm -hmm. um so yes as um again metaphor something broken mm -hmm. uh there is something broken about the world um, and when something's broken, it stays broken. And it affects everyone. Yeah. Uh, 
That's, that's good metaphors. That's good metaphors. <laughs> um, so we see a lot of that as uh, the main character, Ruth, is coming home and is sort of on her journey home, which is not an easy journey. Um, she is basically without money, without transport, um, kind of the stuff on her back, and is on the run from someone. And it, it's all left very vague and, I think, intentionally so. You don't really know who it is. Scientists, government... Scientists working for the government. But this this story exists in enough ways that we can fill in the gaps enough. Mm-hmm. We don't need those details. We don't need a, a fictional arm of the government to be made up with a fun acronym to explain what's going on. What are you talking about, S.W.O.R.D.? I was. Okay. I mean, I like S.W.O.R.D. Like, S.W.O.R.D. <laughs> is from the Marvel comics. Like, that's not a thing. But you don't need Sword, to explain shield. what these things are in order to use them to tell the story you're trying to tell. That's that's, that's what I'm talking about that when I talk about, like, economy, economy of, of dialogue. Of dialogue economy of storytelling. You you know. You know what you know. You know what this is. You know who these guys are. Yeah. And, and, I, and they are guys. And they're all guys. And you know who they are. Um, yeah, so one of the things I noticed mm-hmm. um, early on is she was, uh, they're establishing this drought, she doesn't have much money, she's paying a premium, everyone's paying a premium for water. Mm-hmm. She keeps getting water to wash herself, or like yes. wash injuries mm-hmm. that she has. And so that was, I was thinking, what if... What a choice that that's what you use that water for rather than drinking. You mm-hmm. get to drink a little bit, but yeah. you have to be thirsty. You have to be thirsty, you yeah. You have to be thirsty, <laughs> and you're using it to clean yeah. your wounds and your injuries. Yes, that is, that's an interesting choice. Is and that, I think it's also interesting because that's reflected in her daughter, in Lila. Is it Lila? Yes, Lila. Um, who also is very focused on cleanliness, and we see her in, in a brief interaction with Bo when we first introduced them. She's like, can I take a bath tonight? And it's like, no, you took a bath last night. And she wants more water. To so brush her teeth. And, and to wash her hands. Yeah. And, um, um, so it, it was very, again, economy of storytelling. Like, hey, there's very clearly a connection here yes. between these choices that we're not spelling out or making explicit for you, but is very much a part of the text. Yes. Well, and here's the third part. I had missed the part about Lila. Oh, okay. Doing <laughs> I got that. Um, that's one of um, Ruth. Ruth is the mm-hmm. daughter. Um, her favorite albums, Germ Free Adolescence by <laughs> what, X-Ray Specs. Yeah. And the song that happens that she plays on the jukebox is Germ Free adolescence and it's about scrubbing and cleaning mm-hmm. and very punk oh i didn't i missed that so <laughs> because another thing that so yeah i had to look it up afterwards yeah because this is not a band not yeah I've not a piece ever, of, of culture i'm familiar with until i've film. heard of x-ray specs but i could not have told you a single one of their songs <laughs> let alone what kind of music they played well they're punk yeah um and polystyrene was the the lead singer who put them together she's mm-hmm. biracial mm-hmm. ruth is biracial yes um and a lot of like feminist exploring um, in the songs, even though I think the rest of the band were basically white men. But interesting, um, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So Ruth is is biracial mm-hmm. and a bit of a, a punk. Yeah, looks up to the punks. Um, and yeah. So another thing that I was noticing was the idea of savoring mm. in the film. Um, so. There's a moment when Ruth, uh, the, the secret government guy, she doesn't know is a secret government guy yet. Although we her. all kind of do. Yeah, you're like, this is, <laughs> this is weird. She knows something's up too, yeah, but yeah. Um, he buys her a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And the process that she goes of like getting the water, she gets a little packet of probably instant something or other yeah. that they're using. And the, the ritual of kind of putting it in the coffee mm-hmm. and taking a sip of it and enjoying and it enjoying and experiencing it. it um i yeah so i was noticing that i noticed when she's in this is all this is almost all in the first not even first quarter of a yeah, movie the first act <laughs> where she's uh traveling back to her her home mm-hmm. um 
she stops by a bar and barters for food and water there mm-hmm. because she doesn't have any more money. Yeah. Previously, we'd been seeing this as she she's pulls out, out a smaller and yeah. smaller wad of cash um, when she goes. So she's she's bartered. She's cleaning up and she sees a jukebox. And then she looks at the jukebox and she pulls out a coin, mm-hmm. which you know has to be like one of the very last. Yeah pieces of, of currency she has and she puts on she puts on germ free adolescence as a song mm-hmm. and she savors yeah that yeah and then <laughs> i also <laughs> the parallel uh you see in Bo's house lila has repaired her record player mm-hmm. which i seems like it's been broken for a while yes and when lila's gone to bed Bo comes and she puts it on she turns on nina simone mm-hmm. and like is enjoying that goes outside pulls out a cigarette and is enjoying yeah. that and that's what i felt like a lot of the pacing and kind of yeah. like feeling of the movie was absolutely <laughs> just taking the time to really appreciate and to experience and to experience and um, being really mindful of that small amount of water and the small amount of food and yeah. um, the cracks in the bowls and the wear on the house and all of those things was part of the storytelling. Absolutely, I think, and very effective at at making you feel that through the methodology of it, through the the storytelling, through the filmmaking techniques. Yes, I agree. And uh, I, I don't have anything fun to add to that. I enjoyed that, <laughs> and I felt like it made it part of, of the whole of, yes. the, of the film. And you're right, in a film that's sparse in dialogue, maybe it calls more attention to you do have to use mm-hmm. the other elements, whereas when you look at a Michael Bay movie, you can't, there's, there is too much to pay attention <laughs> to. Yeah. They're all competing against each other for how to experience yeah, the story. Yeah, what, what can you see the most of? Um, well, which, I mean, that kind of goes back to the idea of like a TV show based on this, like, cause I think we talk about the, the two hour movie stretched into a 10 minute TV show, like as like, it's not a movie, it's not a TV show. It's a 10 hour movie. Yes. And nobody wants to watch a 10 hour movie. It's a classic streaming problem that a lot yeah. of shows have. And nobody wants to watch a 10 hour movie. I certainly don't. Cause most 10 hour movies are bad or that's not entirely true. Taking a two hour movie and stretching it to 10 hours is boring yes this managed to take arguably a 20 minute story and stretch it into two hours without making it boring by taking the time to savor it and use the time they had effectively rather than just this is all the story we've got we've got to just and now we're going in fluff (laughs) um so that's my fear of a fast color tv series is losing that sense of pacing to a certain extent it would be boring to watch an hour-long episode be this kind of slow and and mindful Mm -hmm. and um it makes it sound boring and so it wasn't boring no i was was not bored i was engaged the whole time but Mm -hmm. having 10 episodes like that it's it's a difficult balancing act when you're already when TV shows on streaming platforms tend in that direction anyway, I think it becomes difficult to sustain effectively. Mm-hmm. Which is nothing against this movie. That's all speculative. This is a great movie. Go watch it. Oh, I did think <laughs> if it was a TV show, then you wouldn't have the time for the other filmmaking elements that yeah. were a part of. Um, I noticed. I was noticing the background and sound because it was mostly like sparsely instrumental. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the metaphor of trying to turn the truck over and yeah, over. Yeah, and hearing and that over, in the background. And hearing it. And of course it turns over right after Lorraine Toussaint. Um, Toussaint? Toussaint? I don't um, know how to say the actress's name. Who plays Bo. Yes. Um, as soon as she says, we've all been just, we generations of have of all been family. doing the, the same, same thing over and over and over, <laughs> hoping someone was going to get it right. And yeah. Whoa, that engine turned over, <laughs> which uh, the granddaughter, Lila, had been trying to fix. So she could film. escape. So she could leave. Yeah. So she could leave. Like her mom. Although she didn't know her mom. Yes. Until, until, um, until this film. movie, yeah. Until, until the events of the film. 
but yes, and and we even get you know Bo's story of trying to escape, mm-hmm. and we hear the, her perspective on that, and it really is about this repetition and this cycle of family and struggle. Um, and I thought, like, this is not a twisty turny movie. Like, it's not like su- trying to surprise you at every turn, but seeing like, oh, the sheriff, like is on their side, is actually trying to help them, was a nice reveal. Especially when we get to the reveal that, like, oh, he's your father. Um, which is presented to us as a surprise. Yeah. But is not dealt with by anybody in the movie as a surprise. Which Just I really, to the granddaughter. To the granddaughter, Lila, who, did who did not know who her grandfather was. Um, but I like that it wasn't, like, a twist to Ruth. Like, no, of course she knows who her father is. Um, That's not what this story is about. Yeah. And it's not trying to trick you or surprise you in that way. But we, the audience, weren't told until we needed to know. Mm-hmm. Rather than having a information withheld from us, I, which a, a worse production would have done, would have withheld it to make it a surprise at some point, um, rather than just not needing to tell us yet. Which is good. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good job. Good movie. Um, I'm thinking about this in the context of... We watched the movies with Mikey on... Speed Racer. Speed Racer, which was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Maybe we'll watch Speed Racer again. Movies with Mikey's is a YouTube essay, video essay show. Where a guy named Mikey talks about movies. Very well. He talks about them very well. Yes. He does a good job. He does a really good job. He always makes me like just fascinated by whatever movie he's talking about. Um, but there was an aside in that talking about the start of the superhero movie boom and, and Iron Man sort of being the first of this generational shift in filmmaking that we have seen since. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made me... Watching this after that made me sad only in the sense that, like, there is so much wasted space in the superhero genre that we're repeating the same movie over and over and over again. And we're, we don't get enough things like Fast Color that do something entirely different and ex- unexpected and tonally different with superpowers. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you've got superpowers. That's a thing. Um, and I want more of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, everyone is is just copying Iron Man. Like, the the entirety of the Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and parts of Phase 2 are just Iron Man over and over again. Y- yes. And they're, they're heavily saturated in origin stories mm-hmm. of someone coming, developing their powers. Yes. Becoming cognizant of them, learning how to use them. And, yeah, and then in the and, third act, they fight a mirror version of themselves who has the a very similar power set. And I just don't care, and I'm so tired of it. <laughs> well, it says this film is, is totally much slower, where there's a minuscule amount of special effects. Mm-hmm. There are. There yeah. are some. Um, to show the dissolving of objects and mm-hmm. putting them together. Uh, it's slower. It's... Um, I don't feel like this story starts in media ray necessarily, but in terms of a superhero film, it does. Yeah, well, we it it starts where it needs to start. Yeah. Um, with, I mean, the arguably the inciting incident is Ruth going home. Right, but these are new powers to no one. In yeah. The film of Ruth. Yeah, they all mother, know they have them. They, it is a generational thing. They have a history book of it of their family writing the history of this experience and mm-hmm. living in this house. Um, so even that, like, is a huge difference and a, a breath of fresh air in the superhero genre. Well, I, I also spent pretty much the first two-thirds of the movie until, even more than that, yeah. kind of until they go to the police station because they finally got kind of mm-hmm. found out, wondering to myself, well, these powers are cool, but how would a superhero use them? <laughs> Because that's what I've been trained to think. Yeah. Like, How do okay. I solve crimes with I, this? I mean, because <laughs> Bo does say towards the beginning um, that it's more of a parlor trick. Yeah, she trick. describes it as a parlor trick. And I, and then, so I think of it then as just, oh, it's a cool thing they can do. I see, I have a little bit of idea of mm-hmm. possibility when um, Bo takes 
Lila, Lila to the, the store. Girl in the store, and she ends up. You put this together later. Yeah. She ends up shoplifting several mm-hmm. tools by breaking them down into dust and putting them and in her pocket. Putting them in her pocket and then putting them back together at home, mm-hmm. which she gets found out for. Um, yes. For, for doing. So then I'm like, oh well, that is one thing. That's that a thing. That you could do, <laughs> um, but still wasn't seeing. Um, the possibility space. Yeah, yeah, and and at some point, I think Bo says these aren't. We're not superheroes. Or yeah. Just, <laughs> and then I saw, I finally got more of the possibility mm-hmm. breaking. They, they've guns pulled on them. You can break down the guns. Yep. You can break down doors, restraints. Yeah. I mean, probably two humans. We don't see any. Humans. We don't see that, but it is not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. That's another thing. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I think that's all very neat. But also just, like, no Marvel movie, specifically, is about generational trauma. I guess it's true. But the, a lot of the inciting incidents for superheroes are about a trauma. Yes. Suffered. <laughs> yeah, dead dad syndrome or yeah. dead mom syndrome. Yes. Um, but they're rarely actually about that. Like, even sort of the, the Ur example of Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, and Uncle Ben died because I wasn't responsible, isn't about that very much. It's about beating up the Green Goblin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that idea of using this fantastical thing, this fantasy thing, to tell more interesting stories that aren't punching bad guys until you win. That's highly unusual. It is. I want more of that. In this space. Um, not to get too off topic. I don't care. It's my podcast. It's our podcast. Um, that's one of the things I loved about the first episodes of WandaVision, mm-hmm. is that they were out in left field, telling completely unexpected stories. Um, And while I've enjoyed the episodes after those initial three, um, it has fallen closer and closer to that original structure. Yeah. I'm not trying to spoil WandaVision much here, um, even though we do spoil everything on our show. That's all we'll say about WandaVision. Um, I really like WandaVision. Check it out. Um, But yeah, that's that's just the sort of things I was thinking about on a a, Mm -hmm. superpower level. Well, and also the fact that it's three black women. Of course, um, yeah. And to see a story solely about them mm-hmm. and their superpowers mm-hmm. is... Atypical. <laughs> Unprecedented. Very rare. <laughs> yeah. Very rare. Yeah, we have uh, how many black superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, there's Hawk. Guy whose name is not Hawkeye, not the not Hawkeye, but the one with <laughs> the, the Falcon. Wing, the Falcon. <laughs> the Hawk guy. <laughs> the Hawk guy who's not Hawkeye. <laughs> Black Panther. Yep. And Black Panther's extended family. Uh, and in some universe, Monica Rambo as yes, Captain Marvel. Yeah, but not this universe. But not this. Not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. So in the films, like we have. You know, she's a kid in Captain Marvel, but, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of... that's. So in the tentpole, there are none. I yeah. can't think of any in the DC Cinematic Universe. Yeah, in the Cinematic Universe, no. Yeah. But comic books, I don't... I don't. Yeah, there, there's, there is more representation in the actual comic books. Um, there's a lot more black people in comics in general um, yeah. than what we see on screen in the movies. But this is a movie, so... Yeah. So, unusual in that... Yeah. Um, Although, I'd like to know that there were some black folks on the creative side of things. Yeah. I I, I can't tell just from the. I mean, I I clicked on their pictures. Well, yeah, no, I mean. (laughs) But there are other. Yes, there there are are other other creative positions uh, involved. Just directors and writers. Yes, that is absolutely true. Um. There was lots of space there where that could be the case. Um, speaking of, though, uh, the acting was great in this movie. Excuse me. I've got uh, yawns. That's okay. Um, Sleepy time. The Ruth's actress, whose name I don't know. Uh, Gugu Imbatha Ra. Ah, yes. 
um, who I don't know of being in anything. I mean, she has been on things. I did not recognize her. She was apparently in Doctor Who at some point. Oh, 2007. Yeah. Um, and then other things that I've never heard of. Uh, but she did great. Oh, she was in Jupiter Ascending. I love Jupiter Ascending. Uh, was, don't recognize. Oh, I she rec- was Tish. She was Martha's sister in uh, Doctor, in Doctor Who. Who. Yeah, neat. I mean, I know Lorraine Descent. Yes, I know. I know her from Orange Is the New Black. Yes, she's been. She was great. Lots, lots of. Things. Oh yeah, and then uh, the sheriff. Who I know specifically from Alphas, which is yeah, a, you're uh, he's he's in he's in all sorts things. of things. Yeah, um, Alphas sadly canceled before its prime. Um, and then the granddaughter. Uh, I, I yeah, yeah I, I this was nice. not her first production, but um, a younger actor. Well, she was in Fences in 2016. Yeah, anyway. Good all around, like believable, doing a lot with the these robust characters. They brought a lot to it. They were doing a lot of the character work because it is yeah. sparse in dialogue, sparse in storytelling. So they have to bring all of that, and they did a very good job of that. Um, these felt like a family. Like they felt like people who, you know, even though Ruth and Lila didn't know each other, they felt. Of a family, they felt mm-hmm. a part of it. You could tell they'd both been raised by Bo. Mm-hmm. You could get that through a lot of little nuanced things, mm-hmm. rather than the movie explicitly telling you all of that. Mm-hmm. Got yeah. all these. Um, yeah. Do you, did you also notice? Um, Again, I don't know if this is part of my idea of savoring, but uh-huh. the colors and the cinematography—not like when, she, not when don't they were doing the colors. Super, <laughs> but I thought I, the film's colors were very much in like a palette of blue, white, and kind of a dusty mm-hmm. yellow. Yes, and I noticed that, which I don't is rare. <laughs> I don't notice those things very often. Too and taking what's a pretty desolate landscape, you know, devastated by drought, drought. and making it beautiful in a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of ways. That was something. Yeah, no, it definitely did. It felt that way. It felt um, peaceful. Isn't quite the right word, um, but it, it was shot in a way that was honoring the space and the land, mm-hmm. even though that things were bad. That didn't. You know, it kind of goes to, um, you know, Bill's line of, you know, we always think the world's ending. My grandmother had to hide under her desk when she thought the bombs were going to fall. Um, that, which, and you, you have complex sympathies towards Bill, or at least I do. Um, I don't really like him at any point. He's, but he's trying to do what he thinks is best. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the idea that the world is always ending, um, but people still have to live in it. You still have to keep working on it. You have to do what you can to make it better. Not just say, yeah, it's always bad. Uh... Oh, again, another thing that visually I think is complex but interesting is you have these bandages on Ruth's wrist that are made from a torn up shirt, basically, Mm -hmm. that she is improvising bandages from. Um, from when she restrains herself during her seizures so as to minimize the damage is sort of the implication. Um, which was very reminiscent of the bandages you always see when someone has recovered from a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of, like, it's not making it explicitly saying, like, hey, Ruth tried to kill herself, but it indicates a certain amount of self-destructive tendencies mm-hmm. and things that she is clawing her way out of by going by getting sober, by trying to be recover herself and her strength. Um, that is, is just one of those things that like you see and the movie points out to you but never makes explicit because it doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I really appreciated. I also, yeah, I also thought about the bandages after a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what that looked like. 
Can I change the subject entirely? Yes. So you have more things. Um, is the subject still about the movie we're talking about, yeah, or is the it subject okay? Is still about the movie, yeah. Let's talk about the but, movie then. Um, how much of a comparison this makes to N.K. Jameson's Broken Earth trilogy? Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And now that's all I could keep thinking of. She's an origin. She's an origin. It's, it's the beginning of yeah. the originetic powers. I certainly have that thought process. Yeah. Well, I know it's from 2018, so it, it postdates the first, the fifth season, yeah. the first book of the Broken Earth trilogy. I wonder. Yeah, it's always a little that, like, like, it is not too close to that where i'm like plagiarism but it definitely wouldn't surprise me if the writer of this film had you know picked up a copy of the fifth season at some point and said hey generational trauma earth powers i can do something with this the world is ending huh yes yeah. no, no, absolutely there are a lot of a lot of parallels um it's worth experiencing both. Go pick up the Broken Earth trilogy if you haven't as well. I, I would say if Fast Color was an adaptation of or a riff on the Broken Earth trilogy, then I would say it's a very bad adaptation. <laughs> yes. Um, but, it, but Fast Color is very good in what it is doing yes. by itself. Yeah, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't want it to pretend to be an adaptation well, of Broken no, Earth. Well, no, yeah. I wouldn't... Say yeah. anyone would say that that was intentional, but you yeah. know how sometimes, like you know, like bugs and ants, the movies both come out at the same time. And yeah, although go, that was that was intentional. Uh, they okay. made one because they heard about the uh, other. Okay, but, but I get you. you know, I get what you're pointing. All the yeah, asteroid yeah. movies yes. come out at once, and you're like, yes. uh. yeah. There's a certain amount of parallel development, and sometimes that's just different people responding to the same moments in history and the same atmosphere that we all live in. We all breathe the same air, as it were. So it's un not terribly surprising when similar ideas show up and a response to that. Yeah. If you don't know, N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy is three novels that take place. I don't even know how to describe it without starting to spoil it. You should read them all. They're excellent. They're one of the few groups of books that I will be rereading in the future. <laughs> like, I don't reread a lot of things. It is a story of a world ending and a woman surviving that. That is... That's as, as non-specific as I can get without literally spoiling the first page of the book. Uh, <laughs> but the, the parallel we're making to the film is that there are a group of people who can control, who have earth powers. Yeah, basically. they're earthbenders. The, the earthbenders, earth from, movers. Yeah. They can make the earth move. They can stop the earth from moving. Mm -hmm. so they can stop earthquakes. Or they can make earthquakes. earthquakes. Um, Which uh, can be tricky. And they can push rocks around. Yeah. With their mind. It's, it's um... And so that's the, when yeah. Ruth has her seizures, she creates earthquakes. Yes. And that is reminiscent of the trailer, I think, made me have more of those expectations of those parallels um, to Broken Earth. But there was less of that, I think, in the movie. But since we watched the trailer first, I was like, oh, this seems a lot like. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know how you can go into this and not com make some comparison. Yeah. Although, to be fair. Um, earthbending was a thing in Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. So, um, which is also a, a good thing, a good show. The movie's bad. Don't watch the movie. Um, and people manipulating elements and things with their minds has been around for lots of time. So, again, it's just shared ideas, not... Well, yeah, but Avatar wasn't taken in post-apocalyptic. No. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but... If someone had told me that the orogeny of Broken Earth was based on the Earthbenders from Avatar, I would say, so what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're very, very, very different yeah. things. Like, so what? That's fine. <laughs> so in the same way, if someone had told me that someone took the idea from Broken Earth to make this, I would be like, yeah, so what? Okay. Yeah, yeah that's fine. This isn't that. Yeah. No, I'm not saying... Like I said, if it was... 
an adaptation would be a bad adaptation. But I, know, <laughs> I know they're not even uh, trying yeah. to do it on the sly. Yeah, so. it's not like they're, they're trying to sneak in an adaptation on the back end. Um, this definitely, um, I was thinking as we were watching the end of this movie... Uh, this is prime for like the ending of Fast Color Explained to YouTube. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, if you don't know that, that's a whole genre of YouTube where ambiguous endings are. People can't handle, and many people can't handle ambiguous endings. And yes. they need to know definitely what, what happened. it means. In what black is and it? white, this is literally what it means. And so there's. People on YouTube who will come up with an answer and give it to you and say, this is what happened. I mean, I don't think that this was that ambiguous of an ending. I don't either. But I know how to read the languages as well. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but oh, you, you want to give your take on what the ending? No. no? Okay. Okay. You don't want to <laughs> spell it out? I don't need to spell it out. The movie spells it out. It's like the ending of Inception. You know what happens. You just saw it. But people argue. Over I know. The I know they Inception. do. I think the most ambiguous ending I've seen in a while was Annihilation. Yes. That was probably that was, the that most was again, from a, a literalist standpoint, it was very ambiguous. It what didn't happened. bother me, though. But no. Ambiguous endings don't bother me. <laughs> Because if the, the, it always boils down to me, like, if they wanted you to know, they would tell you. It would be part of the movie. That's, um, there's a little bit of, like, that argument in, like, the whole death of the author argument of, like, well, what really happened? Like, what is, what are these characters doing 30 years later? And the author's answer doesn't matter. In the same way that, um, if you say, like, hey, actually this character that was in all seven books, was secretly gay the whole time, it doesn't matter if it wasn't in the text. You feel like you're calling out a specific person there? No. Who would I be calling out? I don't understand. <laughs> um, if it's meant to be a part of the text, it will be a part of the text, and you read it as it comes. So going to a director or a writer of a film and saying, but what, ha what really happened? Or trying to, like, suss out the super secret trick meaning is reading the movie wrong. <laughs> Both of those are reading the movie wrong. Um, the one exception I will have, I will give, is TV shows that have a central mystery that get canceled. You can then go to the people who wrote it and say, like, what did you want to do? Yeah. That doesn't become a definitive or canonical answer, but it's fun to find out. I mean, usually the answer that they give is bad anyway, so it's fine. They didn't have time to develop it yeah. and stretch it over in workrooms and whatnot. Or, you know, you get the end of Lost, which some people, for some reason, didn't like. Some people still don't... There's still debate on what happened in at the end of Lost. Is there? Yeah, okay. yeah. People have different ideas of what, what happened. I think Lost... Well, no, there's debate on, oh, were they dead the whole time? Or... Or were they actually on a mysterious island? island? They were actually on a mysterious island that had a hole in the bottom of it that kept all the evil from getting out. Unless you put the plug, so you took the plug your, out of the hole. you just your answer on that, what it That's means. what they said in the show! <laughs> there's a well, there's a hole, there's a rock in the hole. Sorry, we're super off track. Also, I'm spoiling Lost, I guess, now. Yeah, well... You had your chance. Yeah, time's you're, up on that one. You're Sorry. getting up to 15 years. Um, one, 10 years? When did it end? I don't know. I don't know either. It least started more than 10 years ago. I think it started in 2007. Like, that was a big year for TV because you had Lost, you had Desperate Housewives. You had a lot of big I, shows. Somewhere. It's, it was on when I was in college and I graduated in 2007. So. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Knowing it doesn't the matter. ending to Lost doesn't mean you won't also enjoy Lost. the rest of the show. And yeah. you'll probably still get to the end and go, what? <laughs> we... um, I, I appreciate, back to Fast Color, two things. One, I appreciate the sort of intentional timelessness that a lot of it had. Like, you don't see a cell phone. Yeah, and I could. I don't know when it was set. Yeah, I, none of the clear... technology that you see or experience is new. 
all the cars all are... the car cars are old someone's got an answering machine on an old rotary it's not a rotary telephone but i think it's, it was a rotary was it it might have been a rotary telephone yeah um it had a mechanical bell which is yeah. what stuck out in my mind because yeah. you don't see you don't see landline phones anymore let alone landline phones with a with a manual bell a analog ring yes um so i thought that was really neat um, and you can read that two ways. It is ambiguous in that it takes place in a time before all of those things happen, a parallel timeline to our Earth, which, whatever. Or that in the future, like, we have lost that technology for various reasons that are apocalyptic. Or that it happened in, like, the 1980s. Yeah. Any of those are true. Because the only clue was, was the, the government guy saying his grandmother remembered ducking under the bombs, but Which that's a be, pretty big Could have era. been the Cuban Missile Crisis, but it also could have been some future crisis yeah. where uh, we were. It is about not a definitive answer. Bombs. Nor does it need to be. No, no. And that's, so, but that's my point. I enjoyed that ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, and then my last point um, was the, the littlest, pettiest of peeves. Um, Bill, the scientist, said she's moving tectonic plates that have never moved before. Which is not how tectonic plate words work. They all they all move. Yeah. They're all always moving, but they're very big, and you don't notice it because they're very slow. Yes. <laughs> um, like most of North America is on a single tectonic plate. So, like, she's moving tectonic plates that have never moved before is just a nonsense. I mean, if that's sentence. your one nitpicky thing, that's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, a whole movie. Oh yeah. That was the thing you that was on. That was the pettiest of peeves, yes. Um, but I just wanted to put it in there. It's just That's not how tectonic plates work. As an, as an honor to my grandfather, a geophysicist, who would say so that's not how that works. And that's fine. It's not important to the movie. But it's a good movie. Check oh, it yeah, out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm real glad we watched it. Good, especially if you like superhero movies. Yeah. And you want to... Push the boundary push the boundary of a superhero movies or you hate superhero movies see if this is might be one that it's you more like. your jam yeah, yeah. So, multiple kinds of people. absolutely i did i was just reminded of not because of any like actual connection to it but thinking about ambiguous movies and movies with the word color in their title um upstream color is one of the much more ambiguous films that i've really enjoyed uh directed by shane carruth who also directed primer which is a time travel movie that doesn't explain itself i don't think i've ever you, heard of that string color you, you probably haven't i don't own it which is weird because i really enjoyed it the first time i watched it but um i wish there was a stronger connection than that but there wasn't oh did you get the title fast color because i'm still walking away with questions as i to what don't know that i have means. an answer to the to and the i'm title. not upset that no. i don't know what it means <laughs> um i I think there is some ambiguity. It is just a title. Um, but I think fast exists. I read the word fast in the title fast color as closer to the definition like held fast or held strong okay. rather than speedy or quickly okay. um, as in to fasten. I don't know that that's a, a you know, 100% this is true answer. Um, but I like the idea that it is about a family being held fast. It is holding together um, the bonds of this family and these powers. I like that answer. Yeah, that I is have no answer. That's fair. <laughs> that is that is the answer that I have, um, which is not the only answer that could be. No, but I, I was trying to put it together speed yeah. wise, but I, I like that element that of the definition of fast. Yeah, one of the definitions. Because, yeah, I don't think the speed definition fits as strongly. But sometimes a title's just a title. Yep. You just got to have a title for your movie, and titles are hard. <laughs> I'm terrible at titles. I loathe making titles. Yeah, that's why on our podcast we just title it whatever the movie is we watch. Yeah. <laughs> Much easier than coming up with something clever. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I think those are all my thoughts. That's all my thoughts. You want to talk about the podcast? Patreon. I was going to say podcast because I couldn't remember the word Patreon. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about the podcast. <laughs> we have a podcast. This is it. You've this been listening it. to it. But I don't know what you, what you were doing before now. A page on Patreon. Yes. 
For the podcast. For the podcast. You can help support us. Help us keep making this thing we do where we sit and talk at a microphone about the movies we just watched. And not get batted by a cat. And not get batted by a cat. That didn't happen this time. Oh, she got me a couple times. She got me a couple times, too. (laughs) But one of the bonuses you can get from uh, backing us on Patreon is bonus audio of our cat. (laughs) That's that's mostly our lives, is talking to and for our cat. Yeah, so uh, you get bonus, not bonus episodes, same episodes, but you get extra audio at the beginning and end because I leave in the stuff before and after uh, we record the podcast when I haven't turned off the microphone yet. Uh, You also get secret lists of the movies that we didn't watch on any given week uh, because we'll pick a movie from a list of movies. Amy will pick from a list of movies that I give her, and then we watch that so you can see what we didn't. And movies show up. That uh, you weren't expecting. Fast Color has been on the list before. So if you were a Patreon. Oh, well, yeah. we had a couple on the list today who had been on the list before. Every, everything on this list today, this week had been on the list before. Ooh. That was my, my secret oh. cat. <laughs> so they come back. Yeah, they come back. They come back. Sometimes when I can't think of what to put on the list, I just go look at other movies we didn't pick in the past. <laughs> I think everything had been. Uh, yeah, everything on this list had been on the list in the past. And if you know what that list is, you can back us on Patreon for as low as a dollar per episode. Uh, we do charge per episode rather than on a monthly or I mean, monthly basis. You can't do like weekly on Patreon. Um, but you can do a cap if you don't want to give us too much money in a given month. We totally understand that. The podcast will always be free for all because that's what podcasts are for. Mm-hmm. Did I say all the things? I believe you said all the things, but as soon as you turn off the mic, we'll remember the thing that you did not say. I remembered it already. And, oh, okay. The webpage for the Patreon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash five degrees. That's where you can support us. And, and you can find our episodes on five degrees between dot us. Yep. Or your favorite podcatcher. And your podcatcher. And you can rate or review us on those podcatchers so people can find it. Or you can walk up to your friends and family post-pandemic and just say, hey, listen to this podcast. Whisper it in their ear. Yes. Post-pandemic. Not yet. Don't do it now. Either way, you could, you could text them or yeah. phone them. Mention it on Zoom. <laughs> your next Zoom meeting, just drop the link in the chat. Don't yeah. explain yourself. <laughs> uh, Was that everything? That's everything I can think of right now, so it's going to have to be good enough. Okay. All right. Say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy.